I hate fireworks. Why? Okay, well, I don't hate them, but the, I just think people make too big of a fuss over them. They're not worth it. I like fireworks. You, but hold on, though. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, let's, I wanna, let's examine this. Mm -hmm. You think people make too big a fuss out of fireworks. So when I lived in Florida, there was an event called Red Hot and Boom, okay. which was a giant fireworks thing that happened uh, next to a mall at this uh, outdoor park. What, what was the name of it again? Red Hot and Boom. Okay. And they usually had like a musical guest and, uh, you know, it was a big thing. It was I'm a big to-do. Hold on. I'm still trying to put okay. together. Is this a play on red, white, and blue? I have no idea. Red Hot and Boom? Yeah. Because Red Hot and Boom sounds like a barely literate title for something. <laughs> Florida! <laughs> red Hot and Boom time! <laughs> That's Florida for you. What can I tell you? Okay. Anyways, this event brought people from everywhere to see it. And I worked at the mall for a very long time. So it was hell every time this happened. Okay. It was just so many people coming in. I worked in a movie theater. So people would be like, can I use the bathroom? Like, no. They're not just public restrooms for people because there are restrooms out there. Like, go use the go use the, the porta potty, or whatever. And it would just be so busy and so annoying, and I would just it would, it would suck. So I'm a little biased because of that event ruining my life. You're a lot biased. Mm -hmm. A little biased. A lot biased. But because still, like, we don't have that kind of event here, as far as I know of. But whenever those events occur, people get too to just like, I want to get there and get the best seat and get out of my way and traffic's terrible. Like, ah, uh, it's just not worth it for me. I think that's just events in Yeah, general. it's kind of just events. I hate events then. I'm yeah. also not a big fan of events. Well, there. We all hate 4th of July. However. No, I love 4th of July. Growing up, did you ever set <clears throat> off fireworks? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah? How was that experience? Well, that's growing? great. Okay, so but it's not that you hate fireworks. I hate events. You hate events. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is really a completely separate thing. Mm. It has so, nothing to do with the 4th of July. It either. doesn't have anything to do with the 4th of July. Like, Gaurav hates concerts, he hates conventions, he hates no, birthday I like, parties. I like uh, conventions. He hates uh, <laughs> holidays. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But that he probably comes from working at the mall, though. Do you guys want to be my therapist? I mean... Okay. Sure, how much can you we... You can't afford us, though. Yeah. I don't know, I've got a lot of waffles. Oh. Yeah. I'm not, you can't pay you me You cannot in pay people in waffles. I can't bro. pay my rent in waffles. So. I've been getting paid in waffles. Well, you have made a grievous error in judgment. Hey, on that note, <laughs> why don't we start a new episode of Experience Pointers? Yay! Thanks for listening. You have made a grievous error in judgment. <laughs> Hi, guys. We are Experience Pointers. We are a trio of... RPG gamers and GMs who are here to talk about various different aspects of tabletop RPGs and hopefully give you some ideas that you can use in your own home games. My name is Jordan. My name is Waffles. I mean, Garav. I'm Megan. I'm Megan. I got my name right. And my name is Jordan. <laughs> and uh, before we get started, before we get started, because we have a very special episode today, but before we jump into it, I would like to bring up that this episode of Experience Pointers is brought to you by our sponsor, uh, Benjamin and Dan. Ben Dan. Ben Dan. Ben. 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 Oh, that's ben, right. Ben, I ben. keep saying Benjamin, but I'm supposed to say Ben. <laughs> you going to start all over now? Nope. I'm going to commit to my mistake. Well, you just have to edit it. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Don't edit it. Just, I'm sorry. And what I meant <laughs> to say was Ben Dan. Uh, okay. And the pun of the sode. Today's pun of the sode is... How does a 5e D&D bard keep time when playing their instrument? With How? a metronome. What? Because a gnome 
metronome, no? That is absolutely right. Is it really? <laughs> that is absolutely right. <laughs> I, that was that was not me going. What a stupid answer! Oh, that it was, like that was me going. That is absolutely correct. Yes, the answer is they use a metro gnome. I did it. G n o m e gnome. You I did, did it. it. Wait, wow, great job, Garab. Try harder, Ben Danish. Oh. You get more waffles. All right. All right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, <laughs> congratulations on your waffles, and thank you very much, Ben Danish, for being the official sponsor of Experience Pointers. Sponsor even, not even just the sponsor. Um, <laughs> Let's move past all of my terrible slip-ups in speech and get into the meat of this episode. And uh, we actually have a very special guest joining us today. Uh, we have uh, James D'Amato uh, hanging, hanging out here. Well, not hanging out physically with us, <laughs> but hanging out digitally with us uh, as a guest on this episode of Experience Pointers. The world of tomorrow, right? We're here. So hi, how's it going, James? Uh, good. Thank you for using this futuristic technology to, to bring me into your home. Your home podcast. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Anytime we can we can demonstrate to ourselves and to other people that we are indeed living in the future. Uh, that is <laughs> right? something we want to do. It's important. We need to get that across. Mm-hmm. You know? If it's a dystopia that we're we living get. in, it's a cyberpunk dystopia. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, James is the host of the uh, One Shot podcast and, and also a, a couple of other podcasts as well. Is that is that right? Um, so, yeah, I, I do uh, host work on Never Tell Me the Pods, which is a Star Wars podcast. I also star on Campaign, which is another podcast on our network. Um, so I do a bunch of podcasts and, and being part of the One Shot, or I, I suppose the head of the One Shot podcast network, uh, I'm also responsible for a bunch of other shows uh, that sort of fly under our flag. Oh, awesome. Well, we will definitely put some links to the, the we'll put a link to the One Shot Podcast Network in our show notes. Uh, yeah. And uh, you guys should definitely check that out. It seems like you have a lot of uh, really cool shows on there. I was I was looking through that earlier. Um, and uh, Crit Success is the one that you run that's, that's kind of like an offshoot of the One Shot Podcast where you kind of have advice for uh, GMs and players. And then you actually use clips from the One Shot Podcast to sort of illustrate things you're talking about, right? Yeah, uh, Crit Success has uh, pod faded a little bit because it was essentially a podcast where I would do these long form audio essays uh, explaining different gaming concepts. And yes, I would be pulling clips from one shot in order to try and better demonstrate what I was talking about. Uh, But especially as the podcast and network started to grow up a bit, I had less and less time for it. I would love to return to it. But uh, these days, most of my uh, like GM and player advice discussion goes on podcasts that I get to guest on. Oh, awesome. <laughs> like this. This one. <laughs> exactly. Great. And, 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 <laughs> and part of the reason that, that, that you're here today is because you have an awesome sounding book coming out, and I don't want to spoil that for everybody. We want to give you the, uh, the honor of spoiling that for everybody. <laughs> so uh, if, if you could tell us a little bit about the, the book you have coming out. Of course. Uh, now, because I, I have done this in every single interview that I've done about this book so far, I have to pull up the title as okay. it is a... <laughs> It was a chosen by my publisher, but uh, the book is called The Ultimate RPG Backstory Guide. Prompts and activities to create the most interesting story for your character. 
Um, that might sound like a mouthful, uh, but essentially, it is something made to supplement. Uh, it's something made to supplement your experience uh, when you're role playing, and mostly it's kind of fantasy themed. So Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, uh, Dungeon World, uh, whatever fantasy style role playing system you might happen to enjoy, uh, it's made to sort of help you develop more complex ideas about your character and even play the game when you're not at the table i really i really liked that concept yeah. I, I think that um a lot of people get really focused on you know the only time you play the game is when you're sitting around the table actively engaged with the gm and the other players playing but there's so much uh two tabletop role-playing games that you kind of handle on your own away from the table and yeah i mm-hmm. feel like there's not as much focus put on that aspect of gameplay yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, it's sort of weird how we compartmentalize what we think of as actually playing the game. Because if you spend, you know, six hours creating the perfect character, either in Pathfinder or D&D, a really crunchy system, right, where you have a lot of character options, you spend six hours doing that and four hours at the table, I would posit then you have spent 10 hours that week actually playing a role playing game. But most yeah. people think of it as only four of those hours actually counted. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and the other and the other six, I guess, would be seen as like homework or uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like uh, just academic work, not actually part of the gameplay itself. Yeah. yeah, and one of the things that I think is really unfortunate about that is, for some players, that's what they're enjoying most. I mean, I'm sure we all know folks who are friends of ours or who might even be in our play group who enjoy just creating character after character, even if they're never going to play those characters. Um, And stretching the idea of a concept that I call personal play in another direction, there's a whole subset of players that like to daydream about potential situations that their character might one day get into. You know, let's say you've built up a a rival from your wizard school, right? And it's a really important NPC relationship to you, but it's probably not going to come into your game until, you know, dozens of sessions later. There are some folks who either write to themselves about that or just think about what their character might say. Um, there are people who really like to focus on building a bigger backstory for their character and getting a better sense of who that character is as a person. And all of that experience, even though it's happening away from the rest of your gaming group, your, your GM and your fellow players might not ever hear about it, it is affecting the choices that you make at the table and the type of character that you bring to the game when you're sitting down with your friends. Uh, so I think it's an important part of play. And like I said before, for some people, it's what they enjoy the most. Yeah, this is really interesting. I've never really thought about it like this, but just thinking about the game that that we actually all three play in wild cards, I've spent so much time with even the other players just discussing, uh, our relationships between the players if we got into this situation, what that might look like. And while I personally actually really dislike building characters because it stresses me out, (laughs) I love... That is is probably your least favorite part. Yes, it is my least favorite. But what I really do enjoy is is after I have actually built the character, is fleshing out those relationships and, uh, and really kind of... I almost think of it as a secondary character creation part. It's like, I've got the character now. I get to, you know, add all the extra details. It's exciting. And I like playing 
with others. So in that way, I, I've never thought of that as part of the gameplay, but that is actually one thing that I super enjoy. It's kind of cool to think about it like that. Sounds like you might really benefit from James's book. Right? It does. <laughs> I like it. You might indeed. Uh, the, the book is itself is kind of player focused too. Um, the, mm. It's the idea of uh, the book has 100 different exercises and mini games and writing prompts uh, for you to go through to maybe help you develop your character a little bit more or think of it in contexts that uh, you might never have thought of uh, alone. Um, one of the exercises that I love to point to in these interviews is looking at your character's pack and items that are inside uh, the backpack that they carry around with them around the world. Um, for some people, like on, on your character sheet, you've meticulously laid out like all of the useful tools uh, that your character uses to go through dungeons. Uh, you know, your magic items, your, your alchemist fire, uh, utility items. But uh, the exercise challenges you to think of something that uh, your character has in the pack that is heavy and they never use. Um, the, the idea being like, for whatever reason, your character refuses to throw this thing away. It could be an emotional attachment that they have to it. It could be that they're convinced that one very specific day it will be super useful. Uh, or it could be that they just never get around to cleaning their bag. Um, there are lots of different ways you can take that. But each one kind of makes a big statement about who that character is as a person. And even <laughs> if you never actually pull out that item in a game, uh, it's going to help you as a player understand more about who your character is, which might precipitate down to different character choices uh, when you're presented with them at the table. Yeah, that, that honestly kind of makes me think of a tabletop version of playing through like a Final Fantasy style video game and just oh, hanging yeah. on to like potions of uh, <laughs> oh, or like those one those one use items that you're like, well, I can't use this now. I gotta save it for gotta when I really this. need yeah. it. And then you beat the game. You're like, I never used any of those. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like if you were to think of that, if you were to think of like you know Cloud, Cloud Strife or whatever as actually carrying around those like items, that makes yeah. him a very specific type of person. A like, hoarder, very much a hoarder. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like an anxious hoarder. Except like it's all useful, but he refuses right. to use it because he's waiting for the right day. Right, just the right opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that's great though. I love I love ideas like that because I think uh, players often fall into the trap, especially in games like uh, D and D and Pathfinder, where you know you're playing a class and a race that are already sort of clearly defined, like there are dominant or even stereotypical characteristics of all those things. Players often fall into the trap of thinking about their characters kind of two-dimensionally. Like, well, I'm an elf wizard, so I am just all of the things that an elf wizard is. But those sort of uh, those sort of questions, like, you know, what heavy, I love that question, what heavy item that's, that's you know, functionally useless for one reason or another does your character have, kind of have them approach the character from a completely different angle that adds more dimension and richness to the character and kind of gets them thinking about characters in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and not to dunk on that sort of practical utilitarian style of play, too, because, like, uh, there are plenty of folks out there who are fans of, like, uh, play styles like OSR, where characters are more disposable. Um, sure. But this, this book is kind of aimed at the folks who really dig uh, the story aspect of the game and who want to see, uh, challenge themselves to see the different ways they can develop their character. Um, and it's not just an internal prospect either. Uh, some of the exercises in the book are aimed at uh, tasking you as the player and your character with finding out more information about your comrades. 
Uh, mm. So it's a oh, mini cool. game that sort of challenges you. Well, uh, learn this. Learn about uh, the religion of one of your comrades and uh, find out these key specific points. So it gives you role-playing fodder for when you sit down at the table to be like, I am going to have a conversation with the dwarf today. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's I, a cool little task i like that that is i really like that because uh i feel like more and more especially as we do this podcast i see a lot of people asking you know how do i how do i get into role play more how do i come up with ideas for this or that and and, and it's fascinating even for me as an actor who has that training it's very similar but even when i come come into creating a character and trying to figure those things out sometimes it's hard to, to to think like that so it's really really great to have those kind of tools i can really see a lot of people who are interested in role play benefiting from that yeah oh, that, that's and, a and really that's... really good point yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think a question I have for you, James, uh, since since I, I know from uh, from looking at your podcast network and your book that you have uh, a Second City back uh, background, um, which is for those of you who don't know, uh, which is uh, a very highly regarded uh, improv school. Mm-hmm. Um, are you a type of player when you play? Do you, is this your process? Is this the kind of thing that you do, or did you kind of? Uh, create this this book and this process to help out players that you have encountered as a GM? So, I mean, because the book has 100 exercises in it, uh, I came at this from a lot of different angles. I'm definitely the sort of player, if I'm in a longer-term campaign, or even because I primarily one, run one-shots, I, I do spend a lot of time using it. Oh, what did the characters do after that game? And when I play in campaigns, I certainly concoct a lot of different scenarios for myself of, ooh, what would I do in this situation? What would I say if I was confronted with this person? Um, so there, there's a lot of that, um, and plenty of the book is based on lessons that I learned uh, in improv, uh, either learned from Second city or io or my time actually like performing on the stages after uh going to school there um it it sort of came together to be a bunch of different things some of it is uh to sort of help direct folks who might want to get at that improv style but you know don't have access to improv schools in their area don't don't have the sometimes ludicrous amounts of money it takes to get through programs like that yes yeah Um, So there's a little bit uh, of that knowledge that you can take home with you that applies specifically to games in in this book. Uh, I I have a chapter where I sort of lay out how uh, we do hierarchy and and relationships in scenes, how how we lay out a status of different characters and how that affects different characters. And that's primarily aimed at GMs who might be coming to different scenes. You know, you're a dozen different people over the course of a play session sometimes. Uh, And how you conduct yourself and what you say to other people connotes part of your status. And in improv, like you're taught to dial into that very quickly and understand how you can build up relationship dynamic with people. Um, But, you know, we we just sort of have our natural human instincts in in the real world if we didn't go to school for that. Uh, So I sort of explain a little bit of that in that chapter and try to give you some tools and exercises uh, to learn how to use it. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, improv definitely. If you're if you're trying to, well, I mean, if you're the type of player who really wants to deep dive into that mm-hmm. sort of uh, story focused characterization, uh, there are yeah, there's a lot of crossover between improv and mm-hmm. that because you're you're really just sort of writing out this 
character history, this character background on the fly in a lot of ways. I mean, you have to constantly be deciding how your character's going to respond to new situations and, and new environmental things that right. the GM throws at you or the other players throw at you or that you just stumble into yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely a complimentary tool set that I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people would be really interested in learning more about mm -hmm. if, as you said, they did not have the time or the, uh, the yes, money. ludicrous the money. amount yes. of money it takes yeah. to, uh, yeah. to work your way up through those programs. Yeah, and, going and, off what you said earlier about like knowing uh, uh, when you're doing uh, an RPG campaign and then it ends and you want to know, hey, what do these characters do after that? Uh, when I was doing improv, that's kind of how I felt about some scenes when I was in a scene or watched a scene. And improv is either short form or long form, which short form is very small, compacted scenes where everything's wiped away at the end. Long form is a longer show, but at the end of that, it's all gone. And even at the end of a long form show, it's like, I want to continue that scene. Like, what is what is that going to look like? And I feel like RPGs are the longest form of improv, essentially, mm -hmm. because it can go over months or weeks or however I, long you want to keep it sure. going. Yeah. I completely agree with that assessment. When I try to explain role-playing to folks who are in the improv community, I, I say that role-playing games are essentially very sophisticated improv forms. They have a lot of rules that sort of guide you to a particular style of play. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about decisions that you make as a character uh which is that's that's improv to a t mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah and i think a, a, a book like the one that you've written here can be i mean it's it's obviously going to be useful for someone who you know creates a character and then wants to really learn more about that character but even learning to ask those sorts of questions or think that way about games like can help them with uh, more than just that one character, I think, like you mentioned one-shots earlier, and one-shots you have just that one session to really figure out who a character is, how they act, what they do before the slate is wiped clean. Um, so being in the mindset of knowing the sort of questions that you can ask about a character, those sort of like sideways doors into who a character is and how they react can be really helpful for learning over time how to create stronger uh like more fully fleshed out characters for something like a one shot if that's the way you like to play yeah yeah absolutely do a lot faster um, one one shot play sort of heavily factored into this book because you know my primary show on my network is one shot where uh, myself and a bunch of other improvisers and sometimes game designers uh, get together and uh, about every month or so we feature a new role playing game with a new uh, set of players. So I have for the past five years just almost exclusively been playing one shots um, oh, over wow. and over again. <laughs> so wow. I've gotten pretty familiar with uh, how it works as a form and the kind of assumptions uh, that you as both a game master and a player need to make uh, in order to make those stories and games interesting right off the bat. Sure. Yeah, like you definitely don't want to waste a lot of time in a one shot with the like you all meet in a bar and yeah. like everyone introduce yourself because yeah. I mean you only have that one session to really get into the action. Yeah, you want to get to the meat of it as soon as you can. Yeah, this also very much sounds like something, especially for someone like me who doesn't like to build characters. And the reason I don't is because it's too broad. When I sit down to build a character, I'm like, oh, I don't know, I could, I could do anything, so but I options. have to find the perfect thing. But being able to kind of 
I, it seems like I could utilize this uh, almost as like, well, let me come up with some, let me utilize this exercise to give myself an idea for a character, which sounds a lot more uh, interesting and exciting to me than trying to just, you know, pull from the entirety of the universe to build a new character. I mean, that's one of the big things that I was chasing down. I'm glad you brought this point up again, because I think it is really important uh, in, in this book. Like, And actually, uh, you know, when we sit down to play, I think a lot of people are paralyzed by the daunting infinity of choices that you're presented yes. with. Definitely. When, yeah, when there's like a play choice a paralysis. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I usually favor for any one shot that I do, just making pregens uh, for my players just to make it easier. They don't have to sit around and make characters for a very long period if they're okay with it. If they want to go ahead and spend an hour doing that beforehand, that's fine too. But I usually find out before doing the game which one we're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. And like, but still, like, even if you're presented with that character, you're like, okay, what does my character sheet tell me? My character sheet tells me how good this person is at killing things and in what mm-hmm. way for, for most mm-hmm. of the time. But obviously, sure. the, the most fun characters, like, there's there's more to them than that. You know, they're, they're people. And mm-hmm. it can be so difficult to decide, okay, well, what kind of person is this thief actually um and you can flip to you know any of the exercises in this book and find just a small piece of information that you can latch on to to help you like really develop a a rounded view uh to base your character on and sort of ease some of the burden of having to make a decision having to commit to something that uh you know you just came up with a second ago uh off your shoulders Yeah. yeah Yeah, and I I think I have a question kind of going into all of this detail about character. Um, You you definitely seem like someone who puts a lot of thought into creating characters. So I'm curious if you have a favorite character that you have played over the years um, that that has always stuck in your head and maybe sort of informed some of the, the, the exercises or the mini games that you put into this book. Oh, uh, for sure. I mean, the character that I have enjoyed playing the most over the years is actually one that uh, folks can listen to on our campaign podcast, uh, where we play uh, the Star Wars Edge of the Empire role-playing system. Uh, I a play really a, cool system. Uh, it's a super fun system. Uh, I, I play a character called Bacta, who is a former clone trooper, um, who got sort of... Uh, he deserted the army after failing to follow through with order 66. Um, but his character very rapid, like I had sort of envisioned him as this sort of jaded, uh, gun for hire. And he very quickly, uh, became a father figure in the game. They, the crew that he was with adopted a young, like uh, force sensitive child. And that became the most important thing in his life. And it was not, uh, his military background or wanting to get a revenge on the folks that he saw uh, that he thought wronged him. It was making sure this kid grew up safe. Uh, and that became really interesting to me as a player um, because that choice is based on a relationship um, and relationship based choices are one of the big things that I try to push in the exercise in these books because it provides you with a lot more meaty consequences uh, than you would be provided with uh, if you were to just build your backstory around a revenge plot of somebody who's not around and you never really get to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really that's really cool. I, and and I think um, just hearing you talk about that, I know my experience in in running and playing games over the years has often been that um, characters 
choices tend to skew comedic a lot of times, and I think that's often because people feel uh, like that's an easier choice in some ways. It's a it's a less um, well, it doesn't require any vulnerability. Choice. Yeah, exactly, yes, yes. exactly. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but I think I think being able to think about things in in the way that you're describing and sort of answer some of these questions might help some people feel a bit more comfortable with with having some more grounded. Um, characterization at the table that's more uh you know tethered to what's going on and what the other players and the gm are doing at the table as opposed to just you know uh always trying to goof off and come up with the the funniest way to respond to a situation not that that isn't you know delightful and definitely a part of playing role-playing games but i think sometimes um those more grounded choices can get overshadowed because people feel uncomfortable committing to a relationship uh based choice at the table that they haven't really wrapped their heads around yeah and i've really found uh i mean especially with again with wild cards which is the the show the show the 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 game that um i feel like all of us as players have really created some dynamic relationships and i feel like it's probably been one of the most fulfilling games i've ever had because of those relationships and because all the players are willing to do that so and i i personally think that there's the potential that more people could find a lot of fulfillment within that as well if they they could figure out how to be comfortable with it sure Um, not like you said there's anything wrong with comedy there's not but i i have found for the most part when i can get down into a game with with uh, uh, more relationships like that, get down into more grounded moments. Those are the games that really speak to me. And that that's my personal interest. Sure. Um, but that means so much more to me, you know, than just a, a light comedic game. Because I played those two and they're, they're great, but yeah. I don't hook in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really want to get invested in those characters' lives. Yeah. And think about them after the game. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. the week in between, think about what you could say next time you see them or you yeah. know, what you might do next time you see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And and there are ways to actually like if you're a person whose tastes tend to skew comedic, you can take vulnerable choices and build some really great comedy out of vulnerability. Mm. One of yeah, the exercises that, that I put in the book is called Holiday. Uh, and the idea is that you sort of roll to randomly generate a very weird, very specific holiday that your character and their community observed when they were growing up that no one outside of that community understands or acknowledges. Um, <laughs> That's great. And it tasks you with going to different members of your party and finding a role for them, a role that they have to play in order for this holiday to work. And you've also (laughs) randomly rolled like if you fail to do this, there's kind of an emotional consequence for your character. Like if if you don't manage to, uh, you know, oversee this holiday wherever you are, you lose your status as an adult in the community, uh, like Mm -hmm. in the eyes of the community. So like everyone has to do this super weird, super specific thing. Otherwise, you're kind of kind of lose this connection to your past and uh that puts your character in a tremendous space of vulnerability you as the player might not be in that space but having the character express hey this is important to me and i need you to do this especially if it's something that's strange or frivolous there's a lot of comedy to be had there but like the reactions that you're going to get from your fellow players like i can guarantee you that uh the elf ranger and the dwarf cleric are going to have more to say about your dumb weird holiday than they are about like the six goblins that you killed earlier in the day Mm -hmm. sure absolutely Yeah. yeah 
Mm-hmm. It it almost sounds. I mean, I know I know you said that, that the book is a bit slanted towards fantasy, but I'm sure that players uh, in any genre could find mm-hmm. worthwhile uh, exercises and 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 uh, questions in there. That e- even if it is geared towards fantasy, like mm-hmm. I yeah, you can make up a weird holiday in, in Star Wars. Like, yeah, if you're absolutely. Like it's it's totally possible. There's hundreds of planets you can make up stuff. For. Or we could do one in our Deadlands game. I yeah, think we could easily yeah absolutely. throw something there. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I mean, yes, there is definitely sort of a cross genre. Like it's a game agnostic uh, supplement. So it's something that you could theoretically use with any game. Uh, there are more exercises that uh, mention fantasy specific tropes. Uh, so if you're a sci-fi player or or a Western player and you pick the book up, uh, th- there will be things in there for you, but less uh, than what you would see in a book that was sort of designed with those things in mind. Sure. Sure. And I mean, that makes sense because most, most people, I mean, I know it's the case for, for me, uh, I think the case for Megan, I think it's the case for Garot, like almost everyone's RPG gateway drug is D&D or Pathfinder, like mm-hmm. one, of, one of those big like sword and sorcery things. That's how most people come to the hobby. Yeah, for sure. We, we, we started from the most uh, marketable position and then expanded outward. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think that's an awesome idea. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that um, definitely anyone who is interested in in just kind of investigating your character in a different way and just kind of helping yourself come up with more uh, fully fleshed out ideas for the way your character might act, think, and behave would would really benefit from checking this out. So you guys definitely should. We're going to have a link, um, pre-order links actually, in our show notes where you can either pre-order the the book on Amazon or if you prefer physical retailers. uh, I think we'll have a Barnes & Noble uh, pre-order link as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when does this book come out? What is the actual street date for it? Uh, So it's going to be coming out in October of this year. Gotcha. Mm. Okay. Well, I am very excited for this book actually. Yeah. This sounds right up my alley. Before yeah. before before we move on, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on uh, about the book or about the hobby um, that that you feel like is Im- is important to your uh, your message with 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 this, James? Or or have we have we hit it all? Well, uh, the, one more thing that I'd like to add is one of the groups of people that I had in mind when I was writing this book specifically was uh, the. A crowd who listens to actual play uh, podcasts or, or watches streams and doesn't uh, actually have a, the chance to sit down with a group and play. Um, if you've been curious about role-playing games and you know, you're know you not sure they're for you and you want to get a part of that experience, uh, this book allows you to dip your toe in without the sort of social risk of like maybe going out to find a group of strangers to play with or approaching a group of close friends and letting them know that you want to play a role-playing game. Like, I understand. I've got social anxiety too that stuff's hard um but you you can you get this book and you can build the character and play you know the same kind of imagination games without that social pressure to see if you know what this is a thing that really speaks to me this is what i want to do with my time uh and and have fun with um i think it is a great entry point to the role-playing hobby as well 
That, I think that sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think if this book had been around when I was 12, that would have been very <laughs> yeah. helpful for me because we've talked about this before on the oh, podcast, yeah. but I could never find friends to play yeah, D&D so with hard. me. So all I did as a kid was just roll up characters yeah. mm-hmm. and then be like, boy, I bet this game is fun to play. <laughs> you know, I also actually, when I was tr- looking up questions earlier, I found one that was, a, 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 I think, an adult a GM who was GMing for kids and the kids, they were probably in the uh, nine to 10 range. They didn't like uh, role playing. They, they would stay away from it. They wouldn't talk to uh, NPCs if they could help it. And the GM was like, how do, how do I get them more comfortable with this? Because it's kind of starting to affect the game in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And this seems like something that could be great to sit down yeah. and do with those kids. Yeah, like yeah. maybe even if you if you just pulled one or two exercises from the book mm-hmm. and then just kind of did those all together as a group, like before each session, just to kind of get everyone thinking in the same way. I That's think a great really idea. Yeah. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, I think I think we've 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 more than, uh, <laughs> than picked apart the fact that there's a lot of applications for James's book. Uh, and if, if you find it even remotely interesting, uh, I definitely recommend uh, checking out the pre-order link and uh, reserving a copy because I think it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. I yeah. think I've sold myself on it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so, so there are those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so James, we would love if you would help us out with this next uh, segment, uh, which we are going to announce a la Pigs in Space because <laughs> it is time for... The, the question, question of, of the, the so, so, so. All right. So this question today comes from the RPG Reddit. Uh, and this person asks, as a player, how do you balance playing your character and maintaining the plot? And so they go on to talk about how uh, essentially uh, in this particular uh, game or, or uh, session that they were playing, um, the GM had laid something out in front of them and they realized they had a power to kind of sidestep that and solve the problem. And in this particular instance, the GM was like, well, that's all I had. So we're ending the session two hours early. So the, and, and apparently the other uh, players kind of gave this one player a hard time about uh, derailing the game. And so this person's question is, uh, how as a player do you ignore the obvious solution in favor of the plot? And more importantly, should you? Yeah, and we'll post the full question, uh, the link to that in the show notes. But essentially, uh, the player had a power or ability that allowed them to uh, sway the the mental state of a uh, villainous NPC Mm -hmm. into helping them, which seemed to completely... be the shortcut through the hedge maze of the of the yeah. GM's plot. Yeah. Um, so the GM ended the game early, and everyone was mad at this player, <laughs> um, which is obviously not a situation that you want to be in. Um, no. But I think it's an interesting question. You yeah. know, as as a player, if you if you spot that sort of shortcut, should you use it? And um, you know what? What should you be aware of if you well, do want to use it? Some some of this too, to me, is a little bit. I mean, we don't know this GM, and we don't know these players. Sure, but right. this could also be a GM issue uh, as opposed to a player issue. I will say, <laughs> from my read of the situation, it is very much a GM issue. Yes. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with you. It, it seems like uh, as a GM, you need to have some alternate routes available at least one or two or if not then you know tell them hey you you guys kind of derailed me let's take a 10 minute break and then we'll come back to and just take that time to make something else up i'm sure you could fill two hours with something like just because they've gotten past this one npc doesn't mean the session has to end right and that's i mean in some ways it's kind of the nature of 
of a, a role playing game is that sometimes your players are going to go off some direction that you don't expect. And, sometimes, oh, sure, okay, all the time. Ninety <laughs> percent. You, you don't necessarily want to feel like you're punishing a player, but beyond any of that, that's sort of a different question. If we if we take the context of of what the GM should or shouldn't have done, in our opinion, out of it. And we're mm-hmm. just dealing with the player question because, you know, I, I feel like I have experienced some of that kind of stuff before where I'm like, honestly, to me, it's a little bit of dealing between uh, metagaming and playing your character and sort of win. Because sometimes I do find that I, I need to metagame a little bit to keep the game fun, if that makes sense. It's like, well, my character wouldn't know this but if i'm a big jerk and i don't go and help them at this point it's gonna it's gonna kind of wreck the game there's sort of balances to that if that makes sense Uh, i i very much don't like to metagame and like to stay away from it but i do think there are some instances this is sort of the opposite of that i think but uh but yeah i think that's the question it's you know, when what's the line? Is there a line? Does it just differ from group to group, person to person? Probably. Uh, I would. I would love to get James' thoughts yeah. on on that. If if we yeah. if we gave you enough information uh, <laughs> from from that for an idea of what the question is. Well, yeah. So I mean, not having read more details about it, uh, this sort of to me sounds like a stress reaction from the GM. You know, that they, they've mm-hmm. planned a particular route for the session, and they're like, "Well, if I, I don't have that, it's gone." Uh, when they say something like, I don't have anything left for the session, uh, it is them really asking for help. Uh, and that, that could be, you know, might directly be them thinking of, oh, please don't do this because it will ruin all of my good plans. Um, yes. <laughs> but it, it's also an opportunity for you as a player to be kind of a collaborator with the GM um, and sort of trust in how they are going to treat you, especially because you've subverted like this main plot line and create your own trouble and your own fun in this situation. I can't help but think of uh, the campaign podcast when we were we landed on the planet Findar and we needed to get materials uh, for our ship to repair it. So we created a bounty hunting convention for that planet. And at the time, <laughs> we were extremely wanted criminals. So the bounty hunting convention uh, provided us with, okay, yeah, we, we've solved the problem of uh, is the equipment here? We have everything that we could possibly need, need here because there's an industry convention on the planet. But now we have this gigantic problem of, oh my God, we are surrounded by people who want to kidnap and kill us uh, for money. Um, mm-hmm. So in a situation like this, if you are trying to sway a vil- villainous uh, NPC, you've got the spell slot to do it. Uh, maybe you cast that spell and uh, all of a sudden their like second lieutenant walks in the room. And now you sort of have to navigate the social space of the villain says you're okay, but the lieutenant's on to you. And maybe mm-hmm. it's now a social challenge that you're dealing with. And the spell didn't solve your problem. They made it easier. But uh, now you sort of have to play out like, oh my God, we cannot get caught by this lieutenant because they'll be able to figure out a way to dispel this and raise an alarm or what have you. 
Yeah, I mean, in, in that sense, um, casting that spell made the situation immediately easier, but then not being able to navigate your way past the secondary challenge might make the situation even harder than it would have been mm -hmm. in the first place. So mm -hmm. yeah, I kind of like that route. I very much agree. It sounded like a stress response from the GM. Mm -hmm. um, listeners to Experience Pointers will remember when I was a newer GM, uh, <laughs> I literally had a time during a game where uh, my players um, <laughs> wanted to go another direction other than the one I'd laid out and I broke I broke character to basically go hey guys please just go through this door I don't have anything else planned um, and if you guys could just go through it that would be great um, so even that I mean in in that instance I feel like um, is preferable to ending a session so maybe yeah. if it is the fact that you know the GM was stressed or or was a bit uh, maybe maybe just green to uh, sure. running games like this uh, I think I think even breaking the the mood of the game to to beg for collaboration from your players is preferable to um, to making people feel weird at the table yeah. or or also you know like kind of chastising players for using an ability that was on their sheet that they had at their disposal that makes sense in the world of the game for them to use. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I very much like the idea of a, of even if you don't know what to do, do be like okay so hey this was my this was my situation. I didn't anticipate you guys would do that. Mm -hmm. But um, what do you think could happen next that would sure. that would kind of complicate this? Like it, it can be okay to pull that curtain back sometimes yeah. in favor of keeping play moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think players should have to feel um, restricted in that way. I mean, you definitely don't want to take derail everything just for the sake of like, well, I'm just playing my character faithfully. Right. But but you also shouldn't feel like you have to sacrifice uh, smart moves or like mm -hmm. consistent characterization because you're worried that your GM might not be prepared right. for it. Yeah. yeah. The GM should reward you for that stuff. If you're being clever and using the mechanics to get yourself ahead, like that's something that should be rewarded every now and again. Yeah. yeah, it feels like that could forward the story as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and mm -hmm. as a player, you yeah. you also don't have to feel trapped into always making the choice that's most advantageous for your character. You you can mm -hmm. do yes. things to get mm -hmm. yourself in more trouble to create the fun of getting out of that trouble. Yeah, mm -hmm. yes, uh, sure. Garav is actually a player who does that a lot so uh, at the table. <laughs> you do, you do. You often will make a choice um, that is based in characterization, uh, mm -hmm. that's based in the way that we know your character to be, and you will, as the player, go, I know this is a bad idea, and I know this doesn't, uh, I know this isn't going to really help him out in this situation, yeah. but I don't, I feel like he would do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we all go, yep, that does make sense for your yep. character. <laughs> all right, let's see what, what comes from this. Yep. <laughs> I think the important thing is that uh, you're on. You make an effort to be on the same page with the rest of the people at your table, with the GM, and if you talk about your actions in a way that's meant to be uh, progressing the, the story, progressing the game, uh, and the narrative, then I think everyone, yeah, can work together and collaborate to figure out a way to get past any of those bumps that pop up because, oh, whoops, I had wish prepared right. today, <laughs> and I can just easily get around this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we answered that question. Yeah. Um, James, I want to give you a big thank you for uh, joining us in the podcast. Yes. Thank you, thank very you much. so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was a delightful conversation. Awesome. Awesome. We're glad to, we're glad to hear that that went both ways. <laughs> we were all sitting here just, you know, making silent communication to each other. That this us. is delightful. This is great. Oh, wait. Oh, Garab is oh, apparently oh, having no, a different reaction. Okay. What? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. I thought we knew Garab. Miscommunication. 
Whoops. Um, so yeah, I, I guess uh, I guess we should we should wrap it up and we should tell we should tell James how we do it. Okay, mm. so James, <laughs> what we're gonna do? Don't the listeners yeah. can't hear this. Everyone stop listening. We're stage whispering. Yeah, you guys just mm-hmm. take your headphones off for a second. We're all gonna sit. We're gonna sign off, and then at the end, we're all gonna say "Let's good" at the same time. <laughs> Because that's how we end every podcast due Great. to, I think, an, an accident, accident that yeah. happened early on. Don't question it. Yeah. I mean, it was now. meant to happen. Yeah. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So everyone, you can put your headphones back Great. in. Great. Yeah, put it back on. Part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, thanks very much for joining us, guys. Mm. And until next time, let's go. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> this podcast has been a Saving Throw production. You can connect with us on Twitter at expointerspod, and you can follow each of the hosts on Twitter at their respective handles. Jordan is at Jordan Callerman, Megan is at Megan Caves, and Garav is at DoubleGXG. You can also watch us streaming RPGs and more at the Saving Throw Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash savingthrowshow. If you want to listen to new episodes of this podcast early, consider becoming a Saving Throw Patreon backer. Patrons at the $10 level and up can listen to new episodes a week early. You can also help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you found it to help get the word out. Thanks for listening, guys. 